my friends, my friends, my friends, hello and welcome. Welcome to episode 88 of the Little Seal English Podcast. And the title of this episode is My Parents Came to Visit Grouse Mountain and Vancouver. So this is a follow-up to episode 83. My parents came to visit Grouse Mountain and the Grouse Grind. And in that episode, I gave you a little bit of info about Grouse Mountain and a lot of info about the Grouse Grind. It is not mandatory, not necessary for you to go back and listen to that in order to understand this podcast, but it wouldn't hurt. Anywho. In this episode, I talk about some different activities you can do on top of Grouse Mountain. And then I go into just a little bit of a little bit about Vancouver City itself. Nothing major. But this podcast will help you learn so much random English. It will also give you some ideas on what you can talk about when, say, talking to a person about a tourist attraction or a city. Because let's be honest, that is just such a common thing to talk about. If you are talking to someone about your hometown, you want to talk about the good parts. You want to talk about what people go there to see. And in this case here, that's all I'm going to be talking about. Are different activities you can do on Grouse. I'm going to describe them. And then I'm going to just describe Vancouver, as I said. Anywho, let's just get started with My Parents Came to Visit Part 2. Grouse Mountain in Vancouver. So... Once you get to the top of Grouse, I would wholeheartedly recommend grabbing a coffee and looking over the spectacular view of Vancouver and surrounding nature. Now, there is a very expensive coffee shop on top of the mountain. Of course it is expensive. It's on top of a fucking mountain, so they can charge whatever they want. That's the thing about these locations. Once you get there, if you want anything, it'll cost you an arm and a leg. So plan ahead for that. It is expected. You shouldn't be surprised if you pay more money for a coffee up there compared to down anywhere else, or like downtown or at sea level in this case. So we brought our own lunch, packed lunches and stuff like that. But even though we brought our own lunch, we had to have a coffee and just gaze upon the beautiful scenery. You know, we didn't mind forking out extra to enjoy coffee up there. Because one, we're on vacation. Two, you are paying for the views. You're, you're not just paying for the coffee. You have to keep that in mind. You must remember that when you're in a location like this, the extra money is payment for the gorgeous views. And let me tell you, those views were absolutely amazing. So what's great about the coffee shop is that you get a view of the end of Grouse Grind. So there's always people... So, so there's always like people watching opportunities and seeing people who are just about to finish the grouse grind is pretty cool. You can see their legs are burning. You can see that they are exhausted. You can see that they're on the last push up the grouse grind. So they are giving it socks. They're giving it everything they got. They are giving it hell. They are absolutely emptying the gas tank. Four. Excellent phrases for describing when a person is giving maximum effort and energy. One, they are giving it socks. Yeah, socks, those things on your feet. Two, they are giving it everything they got. Three, they are giving it hell. 
and four, they're emptying the tank. And that's a reference to like a gas tank in a car. The tank is your energy. And you can imagine that towards the end of the grouse grind, this grueling 2.5 kilometer run of solid uphill, they are probably using the last of their energy to cross the finish line. They're metaphorically emptying the tank. So you can use those phrases for when someone is giving max effort. So what else can you see from the coffee shop balcony, apart from people just kicking ass on the grouse grind? Well, the coffee shop overlooks Vancouver. From the coffee shop, you can see the Pacific Ocean, Vancouver Harbour, and all the boats waiting to enter Vancouver Port. The coffee shop also looks down on the grouse grind. The coffee shop is situated at the very top of Grouse Mountain and you can see cascading mountains as far as the eye can see. Cascading. Now there is a sexy adjective for mountains. I love cascading mountains. If you want to know what cascading means, just whack it into Google, click on images and you'll see. So there are just some ways to describe the location. So when we were there, it was actually uh, incredibly warm and that was surprising because we went at the end of September, start of October. The temperature, though, was unseasonably high. Like I couldn't get over the fact that I was able to wear light trousers or pants, if you're in Canada, light trousers and a T-shirt for most of the day. Like we basked in the sun. We looked over the views. It was absolutely beautiful. So we had like a wonderful day on top of Grouse Mountain. You know, we started off with a coffee, people watching, just looking at the Cascading Mountains, basking in the sun, blue skies, not a cloud in sight. It was bliss. But there's also quite a few different things that you can do up there. So first, there's a grizzly bear habitat. Oh yeah, you get to get up and close to the grizzly bears. There's a mountain ropes adventure. There's a lumberjack show and there's also an owl presentation too, which I found incredibly interesting, the owl presentation. So if you had a choice between grizzly bears, mountain rope adventure, which is like, how do I describe it? You're a zip line or something like that. A lumberjack show or an owl presentation, which would you like to go to? Would the lumberjack show appeal to you? A lumberjack show is quite possibly one of the most Canadian things there is. First, a lumberjack is a person who cuts down trees for wood, also known as like a logger. Logger, excuse my pronunciation there, lazy. They're always depicted as wearing like plaid shirts, braces holding up their dream, jeans, trousers or pants or something like that. Usually they're depicted as having a big bushy beard and have an axe over their shoulder. So if there's a, a show with lumberjacks, what what do you think they'd be doing? Well, one thing that was interesting about the show was that it was situated on the remaining features of a logging camp from the early 1900s on top of Grouse Mountain. You know, I tried looking up some information about the original logging camp, but unfortunately I didn't have any luck coming across anything about it. A logging camp is where a bunch of lumberjacks or loggers would live when working. It was generally made up of tents, tents for sleeping in, tents for cooking, tents for eating, fires lit everywhere to keep everyone warm at night. And you can imagine it would be a tough life living on top of a mountain. During the day, you just cut trees. That's all you do. That is your job. 
They probably stayed in the logging camp for a number of days and then went back to Vancouver or their homes for a few more days. I really wanted to find more information, but I was unable to do so. I think that would require a library visit. I don't know about you or where you live or what the situation is, but the libraries here, they have records, records and records, colleges, universities. So I bet if I really wanted to, I could find more information. Am I bothered? Nah, not really, I'll be honest. There's a lot of cooler shit to do, like watching paint dry. So, there's a lumberjack show happening on top of Grouse Mountain, and the premise is as follows. Listen up. Johnny Nelson from the Green River Logging Camp prepares to battle Willie McGee from the Blue Mountain Logging Camp to determine who is the top lumberjack in the land. In the show, the men engage in log rolling. A 60-foot tree climb, axe throwing, and much, much more. So that is what the lumberjacks will be doing. Two lumberjacks go head-to-head. Head-to-head, they're uh, contesting against each other. It's like a sporting term, and we use it like, say, uh, France and Argentina went head-to-head in the World Cup final. So these two lumberjacks go head-to-head to determine who the best lumberjack is. They have decided on several activities to complete or to, yeah, to complete to see who the top lumberjack is. And the very, very first one was log rolling. Now, that is a sport that involves two competitors. There's a giant log in the water. It's free floating. Each lumberjack stands on the log at the opposite ends. The two men begin to battle to stay on the log. That means they sprint on the log. They kick the log. They do whatever they can to make the other person fall into the water. Try to picture that in your head. Try to imagine what it looks like to see two people on either end of a floating log. And they start running on the log to make it roll. And hopefully the other person will fall into the water. Absolute magic. However, my family and I had like zero interest in seeing the Lumberjack show. It's more for kids and families, I think. We were more keen on seeing the motherfucking bear and the motherfucking owls. So, we didn't have an interest in the Lumberjack show. We didn't have any interest in the Lumberjack show. We couldn't have been bothered going to the Lumberjack show. We decided to pass on the Lumberjack show. We decided to not to bother with the Lumberjack show. We decided to not to bother with the Lumberjack show. That's a weird sentence. We decided not to bother with. Not to bother with the Lumberjack show. It just sounds weird, but it is correct. But there's a couple of ways of talking about how you like say you're not interested in doing something. We didn't have an interest in. We didn't have any interest in. We couldn't have been bothered going to. We decided to pass on. And we decided to not bother, not to bother with blah, 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 blah. So if you do go to the Lumberjack show, fair play to you, but I would strongly recommend going over and checking out the Grizzly Bear Habitat or the Grizzly Bear Refuge. Now, I have spoken about bears on this podcast before. If you want to know more about bears, go to episode 45 of the Little Seal English podcast and it is just all about bears, bears and bears and I freaking love bears. They are so cool. A habitat, to be technical is an area 
with an array of resources which support the survival and reproduction of a particular species. So a habitat for a frog is going to be quite different to a habitat for a bear. But they could obviously be in the same place. So a bear habitat is an area that has plenty of trees, vegetation, flowing water, giant boulders, rocks, everything like that. Now this is also a refuge. Refuge. R-E-F-U-G-E. A refuge is like an area of land that is protected from danger. So the bears in this refuge are not in danger of poaching or any wildlife attacking them. Now, I really wish I recorded this podcast sooner because there was a really cool ranger talk outside the refuge and it was very insightful. Basically, the bears in that refuge were found as cubs. Their mothers were killed and they had virtually zero chance of survival. They were going to be euthanized until one conservationist came up with an idea of creating a refuge for bears on top of Grouse Mountain. Conservationist. Uh, the, the person who cares for nature and animals and tries to protect them all. So these bears were only cubs when their mothers were killed. One mother was hit by a car and the other mother was never found, so no one really knows what happened. You know, sometimes bears are poached by dickheads. Sorry, sorry, illegal hunters, poachers. These cubs were found by humans who brought them to a vet. And usually at that point, the cubs are put down. Usually they're euthanized, they're killed by the vet because there's generally nowhere to keep them safe. But long story short, people set up a refuge to raise bears like these. These bears could never be released into the wild because they are way, way, way too domesticated now. They are too familiar with humans. They're too familiar with food being brought to them. So maybe you're thinking this is not a good idea for the bear because it's never going to get to live a bear life. You know, it's never going to get to do what a bear should do because it's in this area, in this protected area that is controlled by humans. However, the alternative was they would have died. As time went on, the conservationists learned from the bears and today a lot of modern refuges are based on findings from Grouse Mountain. This is what really, really got me going when I was listening to the ranger talk. In the future, refuges are going to be quite different. In the future, a bear in a refuge will have zero human contact. In the future, a bear in a refuge will be given enough to survive, but also be forced to develop the skills necessary to live a long and healthy life. In the future, a bear raised in a refuge, like I said, will have zero human contact. A refuge will be an area where wild animals are kept out until a certain point and food is dropped off for the bears. So in the future, you can imagine a bear will be in a wildlife refuge. It'll be an area in, in the wild on top of a mountain in the middle of nowhere. It'll be monitored by cameras and there will be a bit of a cage around it so the bear can't actually leave this area. But in that area, it will be given enough food to survive but also needs to hunt or forage. It will have running water. It'll get used to having a, um, what's it called? A den. It'll have to make a den. There might be one made for it or eventually it'll make its own den and that's where it will live. And in the future, that is the plan for a refuge for a bear that is found. 
essentially because of the research carried out at the grouse mountain refuge and other refuges around the world conservationists have changed how they would do it and it's amazing i could nerd out on this all freaking day guys i think it is an absolutely fantastic story they have completely figured out a more efficient way to help bears reintegrate into the wild for instance so there's two bears there that you can visit the first bear is Grinder, and the second bear is Kula. And uh, when when these grizzly bears, or when grizzly bears are born, they weigh about two pounds. When they are fully grown, they can be over 800 pounds, which is just phenomenal. So according to the website, Grinder was found in 2001 in BC. He was found wandering on a logging road and only weighed 4.5 kilos, about nine pounds. Kula was found in 2001. His mother had been killed by a truck and Kula was one of three cubs that survived. Kula can usually be found submerged up to his neck in the large pond looking for his favourite toys, a log, a large bone or his favourite rock. Grinder is the more dominant bear despite being the smaller bear. That was also interesting. Dominant that's a really good adjective for animals whenever there's a group of wild animals or sometimes domesticated animals one will always be more dominant and another will be more submissive a dominant animal is one whose sexual feeding aggressive and other behavior patterns subsequently occur with relatively little influence from other group members subordinate animals are the opposite their behavior is submissive and they can be relatively easily influenced or controlled by other group members. So a dominant animal gets the best food, gets the best mate, they're aggressive and they're in charge. Submissive animal lets them do it, whatever. So dominant means they're in charge, they're the boss. Submissive, submissive is the adjective used for the animal not in charge, the animal that lets the dominant animal do what it wants to do. In this case, Grinder is the smaller bear, but the dominant bear. That means that if Grinder wants food, Kula might just let Grinder have the food. So how do we use dominant or submissive in English? Well, the dog asserted dominance over the others by showing its teeth and growling. My dog is submissive. She'll give all her food away to other dogs. What a coward. What animals assert dominance over each other? I looked it up, actually. Baboons, wolves, birds, chickens. Do you remember I did a podcast about chickens? I mentioned the pecking order. Whichever chicken is top of the pecking order, it's the most dominant chicken. Whichever chicken is at the bottom of the pecking order will get to eat last, drink last, and roost last. Might get bullied, attacked, or even killed by other chickens. Chickens are crazy. Go back and listen to that podcast for idioms about chickens. So, anyways, when you get a chance, folks, the link for the webcam of these bears is in the description. Definitely check it out. Um, if you're listening to this like now in the summertime they should be out and about if you're listening to this in the winter it would have a picture of their den so you can watch them sleep get up and eat and stuff like that 
it was really really cool overall all right so those are some things on top of grouse i didn't really talk about the owl presentation um one or two things i remember just like off the top of my head they were talking about the barn owl and how it is uh, endangered in bc because they're dying off I actually learned something really cool, which I now tell people because I never knew how dangerous it was. But, you know, when I was a child, if you had a banana, if you had an apple or something, you might just throw it away into the grass because it's biodegradable. And that's what we always did. We'd have a banana skin, chuck it away, it'll go into the earth. However, turns out that's not so good. No shit. Turns out that a big problem is for these owls, people will throw... Uh, food, biodegradable food, on the side of the road, out the window as they're driving. Out the window. I always say out like a Canadian now. Can't change that. They throw their food out the window. Mice or rodents or something come along and eat the food on the side of the road. And the owl will swoop down to get the rodents which are on the side of the road. As they do that, they quite often get hit by cars. That really surprised me, and that is actually uh, a factor in their declining numbers, is uh, them just getting run over by cars. So now you know. Anywho, um, all right. So I actually have some questions for you for the next part. The next part of the podcast is going to be about Vancouver City. So here's a couple of questions for you. Number one, what is the capital city of BC? Number two, what is another name for Vancouver? Number three, how many tons of cargo does Vancouver Port handle each year? Four, what is a verb we use for when passengers get off a boat and board land? Five, in this segment, what modes of transport did Ronan and his family use? Six, when was the steam clock created? And seven, how many square kilometers is Vancouver? And what is the population of Vancouver? I'm going to give you all the answers to those questions coming up in now. So um, once we were done on top of grouse, we took the sky ride down the mountain. Hopped on bus number 236, which goes from Grouse Mountain into the city of Vancouver. Now, for those of you who do not know, Vancouver is one of the most westerly cities in Canada. It is the biggest city in BC, but it's not the capital, that is Victoria. So usually the capital is the biggest city, but not this time. Because Vancouver's on the coast, there's a huge amount of marine traffic. And Vancouver Port... And Vancouver itself is known as the gateway to the Pacific. Vancouver Port handles 147 million tons of cargo and 3.5 million TEU each year from 160 different countries. That made no sense to me, probably none to you. TEU, 20 Equipment Unit. So TEU is an acronym used in logistics, which means 20 equipment unit, or in other words, a 20-foot container. It's not really a word you need to know, but now you do know it. You're welcome. So it, Vancouver Port handles so much, so much cargo. 147 million tons of cargo and 3.5 million containers from 160 different countries. 
Now, I remember here in 2021, we had a giant storm in December. Absolutely massive storm in BC. And I live in Kelowna. And in one night, three bridges were washed away due to a storm. The storm only lasted like an hour, two hours maybe, but it was bloody strong. So these bridges were destroyed and suddenly there was no way to drive to Vancouver. And what I remember most about that was the shortage of food in Kelowna, of fresh food. It turns out when there's 147 million tons of cargo and 3.5 million 20 foot containers going into Vancouver port every, every year, a lot of that is going straight from Vancouver to other parts of BC. It could be food, electronics, medicine, you name it. But because those bridges were gone, all of the the cargo was stuck in Vancouver. It was absolutely crazy. And just when I read this about the the amount of cargo going through Vancouver port, it made a lot of sense why we had so many shortages during um, during that weird time after the storm. So overall, uh, Vancouver port has twenty seven marine cargo terna- terminals. And it welcomes a boatload, no pun intended, of cruises every year. A boatload, a shitload, a huge amount. Very academic terms right there, but uh, now you know. So a cruise ship is a giant ship that has everything on board. Everything you need to live. It's like a floating city, basically. A cruise ship is a large passenger ship used mostly for vacationing. Cruise ships usually go from port to port along a coastline. A lot of cruise ships stop in Vancouver and passengers can disembark and explore the city before returning to the cruise ship. These types of trips are known as excursions. I don't know if you've ever seen a cruise ship, but they are something to bestow. Not gonna lie, they're very impressive. They are gigantic, ginormous, humongous, insane. In a cruise ship, You can have like a million cabins, okay? Not a million, but you get it. A fuck ton of cabins in a cruise ship. There's bars, restaurants, malls, every type of shop you can think of. They have art galleries. They got museums. They got entertainment. Whatever you want, it is on a cruise ship. They're really impressive, but honestly, I don't think I'd ever be interested in going on one. I wouldn't mind a cruise to like the Arctic or or somewhere like that, but I'm not too keen I'm going on a cruise ship to a sunny location and spending so much time and money on a boat. You know, I'd really rather take the money and plan my own holiday because they are expensive. They're not cheap. So as I was saying before I went on the tangent um, of Vancouver port and everything, where was I? We left Grouse Mountain. We took the bus. We took the bus to Vancouver. And then we took the harbour boat from one side of Vancouver to the other side of Vancouver. So we crossed the water to bring us right into downtown Vancouver. It's pretty cool how you can take a boat. It's not something that we have in Kelowna or like even in my hometown. So it was a very nice experience. So to recap, we went to Grouse Mountain by Uber. We went up and down Grouse Mountain on the Skyride, which is the cable car. We took a bus from the foot of Grouse Mountain. The foot of Grouse Mountain, the bottom of Grouse Mountain. We took a bus from the foot of Grouse Mountain to the Aquabus Terminal. We took the Aquabus across the water from one area of Vancouver to another area of Vancouver. Once we got off the Aquabus, we were in downtown Vancouver in an area called Gas Town. G-A-S-T-O-W-N. Gas Town. Let's talk a little bit 
about Gastown in Vancouver. The description of Gastown on Google is as follows. Lively Gastown is known for its whistling steam clock and mix of souvenir shops, indie art galleries and decor stores in Victorian buildings. A trendy food and drink scene includes chic, 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 chic cocktail lounges and restaurants serving everything from gourmet sandwiches to local seafood. Hip eateries also dot the neighbouring downtown eastside area, while the up-and-coming Railtown district is home to edgy fashion studios. What a weird way of describing things. Edgy. Chic. Uh, what was it? Trendy. Indie art galleries. Yeah. Hip eateries. That one made me laugh. So Gastown was the original town site from Vancouver. Of Vancouver. And Grand Vancouver grew out from Gastown in the 70s. The steam clock was built in 1977 by Raymond Saunders and Doug Smith. So Gastown is known for its whistling steam clock. Go on, give it a Google. Google steam clock Vancouver and you'll find, you can see exactly what it's like. And it is a clock powered by steam. Apparently there's only a few of these clocks in the world today. Every quarter hour, the two-ton steam clock whistles and shoots steam from its five whistles. I checked out the steam clock with my wife, with my parents, but there were far too many people around. Jesus Christ. See, this is the thing. We're still not used to Vancouver, you know? And we got there, tried to take a picture, too many people banging into it. We didn't enjoy it too much. I mean, I'm not surprised. It is a major tourist uh, attraction. What did we expect? Don't know. We were elbow to elbow with people looking at a clock waiting for it to whistle and shoot steam. Yeah, not honestly, like, it's something people go to to get photos. I have no interest in it myself. So, yeah, Gastown is known for souvenir shops, indie art galleries, Victorian, Victorian buildings. They do look nice, I'm not going to lie. The seafood is known to be quite good. You can imagine how fresh the seafood would be being right next to the ocean. But, like, for me, it's just too busy. For me and my family, it was too busy. You know, we're from a small town. A very, very small town compared to Vancouver. In fact, I thought about how different my hometown is to Vancouver. The area of my hometown is 10.3 kilometers squared. Alright? That's how big my hometown is. The population of my hometown, in, like, 2016 I think it was was 19,000 people my hometown is at sea level Vancouver is at sea level so we got that in common but the population of Vancouver 675,218 yeah my hometown 19,000 the area of my hometown 10.3 k squared Vancouver 115 k squared that was just too much for me. Now I talk to my students in class and I explain how busy Vancouver is for us and they laugh because they're like from Tokyo, they're from Madrid, they're from like big cities. And for most of my students Vancouver is not a big city but for people from Ireland Vancouver is huge. I didn't like it. Didn't like being so close to so many people. I don't like it when you're elbow to elbow with people and you can see the sweat on a person's neck. That's when you know you're too close to them. I don't think I could ever live in a huge city or a big city for an extended period 
of time. You, you probably know that. If you've listened to my podcast, you, you definitely know that. It was chock-a-block. It was bustling. It was cramped in the city. Chock-a-block. It's a high-level adjective for, like, busy. Traffic was chock-a-block. The shopping centre was chock-a-block at Christmas. I thought Vancouver was chock-a-block, but my friends in Japan laughed at my idea of chock-a-block. I mean, they're from Tokyo. And that place is seriously chock-a-block. It's a fun one to say, chock-a-block. Give it a go. So anyways, we were in uh, Gastown, Vancouver. It was too chock-a-block for us. So we went to a nearby bar to escape the hustle and bustle of Gastown. Had a few drinks to compose ourselves. It was nice. It was just nice spending time with the parents. You know, that's a big part of it. It doesn't really matter what you do, but like even just sitting on the the bus, getting the aqua bus across the water, it was really, really enjoyable having that time with the family because you have to cherish it. You got to understand, like my wife and I have been in Canada for eight years now, almost eight years, coming up on eight years next month. And to have the parents come visit us is an absolutely huge deal. And to just go explore a new city with them is also cool. Because like neither my wife or I have ever really spent much time in Vancouver. So it was really our first time there. You know, people are often surprised when we tell them that. Oh yeah, we haven't really been to Vancouver. Haven't been to the island. And they're like, how long have you been in Canada or in, in BC? But it's like, yeah, but we, we go north. We, we go east. We go into the mountains. Not so keen on, on that aspect of it. But it is a nice city if you're into cities. Um, so what else happened? Uh, when we were in Vancouver, we went to UBC, the University of British Columbia, which uh, has really cool museums there. We did a lot of walking. My mother met up with some cousins. So she reached out to some long-distance cousins. And as it turns out, my mother's great-uncle... The way I said out again, Jesus Christ, I'm catching myself with my Canadian accent. As it turns out... My family are, all my friends at home are going to really like hear me say that and really poke fun of me. Nothing I can do. Um, So it turns out my mother's great uncle moved to Canada way back when. And my mother reached out to his descendants, her cousins, and they met up for tea and coffee, which is really cool. So to reach out, that's like when you contact the person. You know, you use it when you want uh, to get help from someone, you might reach out to them. If you want to meet up with someone, you reach out to them. Let me reach out to the cousins and see if they want to join us for dinner. We're having a barbecue. I'll reach out to Dylan and see if he's in town. So my mother reached out to her cousins via email a few weeks before she arrived to Vancouver. They went back and forth and they met up for tea and coffee. I think that's pretty neat. Especially when her great uncle emigrated there many many years ago so he emigrated to canada way back when way back when that's like another time expression for like a very long time oh i moved to canada way back when i love that band way back when but but not so much anymore you know that movie was great way back when but but now i'm over it i i've outgrown that movie um Is it more of an American phrase? Probably, but people will understand you way back when. It's just a very, very long time. So her great uncle moved to Canada way back when. She reached out. She met her cousins. They had a really good time. Anywho, folks, after spending the wonderful weekend in Vancouver with my folks, with my wife, with my family, (laughs) uh, my wife and I went back to Kelowna and my parents went on to Victoria for a few days before they joined us 
in Kelowna. Uh, so they had like a little and they had another trip in Victoria then they got on a plane from Victoria to Kelowna and we met them there and when they got to Kelowna we did a road trip or two we went to my favorite town in BC Revel Stoke which I have mentioned many times in the podcast so um, yeah if you listen back to podcasts you will hear about Revel Stoke we went to Oyama the location where my wife and I tied the knot where we got married we got hitched we swore an oath to each other we also um, got them, oh, we also got into a fight with wildlife and I can't wait for that story because it is very, very interesting. Have you any idea what animal we got into a fight with? We're in Canada, remember. But that will be on uh, My Parents Came to Visit Part 3. For now, folks, my name is Ronan. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You are an absolute rock star. So in this podcast, we spoke about the different phrases for like when a person is giving effort. You know, when they're giving 110%, they're giving it socks, they're giving it hell, they're emptying the tank. Talked about the coffee shop, how expensive it is, but you pay for the views, you don't pay for the coffee. The Cascading Mountains. The Lumberjack Show, which we had no interest in going to. The Lumberjack Show, which we were not keen on. The Lumberjack Show, which we couldn't have been bothered to go to. We talked about the Lumberjack show, which we had, we didn't have any interest in. Yes. I spoke about the Bear Refuge and with Kula and Grinder and how one of them is more dominant over the other and the other is more submissive. We spoke about, I think, was Grinder's favourite toys, which is like a log, a bone and a giant rock. God, I love rocks. Spoke about the Aquabus, Vancouver Port and Harbour and how TEU is just a a technical term for a, a container basically a shipping container but how important vancouver port is to the rest of bc for supplies like fresh food and medicine spoke about the steam clock the aquabus gas town and my mother's cousins and her uh, great uncle who emigrated way back when i really hope you enjoyed this podcast i actually received a lovely compliment uh, recently I, I found out there's actually comments about my podcast i didn't really know this and uh, I'm starting to take it more seriously and trying to find more comments. But uh, yeah, I was very happy to see someone left a comment saying it's a very personal podcast and I speak from my heart. And I loved that one. I also got a message from someone else saying they loved the, um, oh, which podcast episode was it? My Journey Home. Murphy's Law, that one. They loved the Murphy's Law one. So thank you very much. So, you know, there's different types of podcasts that I do. There's these ones, which are like longer story ones. There's more direct ones. I'd love to hear from you. So don't be afraid to drop me a message. Ronan at littlesealenglish.com. Drop me an email. I'm on Telegram. Hit me up there. But uh, yeah, overall, thank you for listening. Please share this with a friend. Let's take over the world and teach English doing it. Talk to you soon, folks. I am going to go for a swim. Bye for now.